calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Let's hang out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Les Hangout, the podcast that really wants to know who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Will you ever run out of songs to do no, for the intro? No, never. I will not. <laughs> nor will I apparently run out of Hamilton references for ever, this season. ever, ever. From the West Coast, I'm Lee Holmes Foster. And from the East Coast, I'm Ellie Brigida. To those of you who have been with us through this whole journey, thank you as always for listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're excited to have you here. Here's what's happening this week. This week in the last You may remember our interview with Laurel's founder, Melanie Crystal, from a few weeks back. We're here to tell you even more about Laurel's because we love supporting queer-owned and women-owned businesses, and we especially love Melanie and Laurel's. Laurel's are silky, stretchy, black latex panties for oral sex, rimming, and fingering. They're ultra-thin, 10 times thinner than normal undies, so you feel everything but they give you just a bit of coverage anytime you want it. We know Valentine's Day is coming up and there is no better time to try out laurels. Maybe you're curious or excited about latex and you want to explore with some sexy, kinky, rippable lingerie. Maybe you're on your period and didn't want to worry about mess. Plus, you can go back and forth between back and front pleasure because laurels block bacteria transfer. Maybe you want some anal rimming, but you'd like a little bit of a barrier. Maybe someone has stubble on their face or their body and you want to avoid the scruff. Maybe you're feeling a little sensitive or experiencing sensory issues. Maybe any type of oral makes you feel too exposed and you just want a bit of coverage. Maybe you're new to going down on a vulva and you just want to explore at your own pace. Whatever the reason, the world's first oral sex panties, aka laurels, give you the power to love oral always. They come in packs of four and their packaging is absolutely gorgeous. Plus, each pair of laurels is individually wrapped in these super cute pink pouches, so a sexy scavenger hunt is easy to plan out. Ooh, I want a sexy scavenger hunt. <laughs> Let's do it. They come in two styles, shorties for fuller coverage or bikinis if you want to bear a bit more. Couples, throuples, hookups, spouses, cis, trans, queer, kinky, laurels are made to help everyone say yes to maximizing pleasure. For listeners of our show, laurels is giving 15% off your first purchase today 
at www.mylaurels.com. That's www.mylaurels.com using the code HANGOUT. So remember, if you're listening to the show and you want to try out Laurels, you can get 15% off your purchase right now at www.mylaurels.com using the code HANGOUT. Enjoy your Laurels, babies. This Week in the Lesdom is a place where you can touch base each episode about things going on with the podcast or otherwise. We are still in our Season 5 Patreon campaign. We have made our first goal, and we'll be announcing when we're going to do our patron-only Q&A episode on our Patreon. We also want to thank our newest patron, Tamara. Thank you so much for joining. We can't wait to see more of you there. If you want to join, you can do that at bit.ly slash lespatreon. We have our next watch party coming up soon for Dickinson. That's going to be on February 6th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern. So don't miss that. Cannot wait. We're going to try to watch probably like two episodes. Yeah. Keep it. We'll pick some good ones. We'll pick the best ones. Don't worry. Yeah. We're not going to pick any episodes that don't have Sue and Emily in it. Don't worry. (laughs) It's going to be great. And as a reminder, some of you have seen on our socials and So many of you have already reached out, and I'm not going to lie, I get like a little emotional every time someone does, but (laughs) we are putting together a crowdfunding team to help us crowdfund for our next musical podcast, which is called Journey to the Heart. So if you are interested in helping, whether you want to donate to the crowdfunding or not, it is still super helpful to us to just have a team that's going to help us raise the funds for this so you can send us an email at leshangoutpod at gmail.com and please just know that we will be getting back to you first of all we know a lot of people have reached out and we haven't had a chance to get back to everyone yet um because we don't have all the details or anything but we've read them all and we are just very touched every time people are so excited to help us make the next one and it's just it's a lot i know it's amazing we're gonna have a huge team and i can't wait it's gonna be great in the greater les universe I know that this movie came out a little bit ago, but Lee and I have both watched Encanto. Um, we are, <laughs> I'm on the Encanto train, obsessed with it, and it's definitely in the running for a should have been gay because you know many characters. And also, the actor who plays Louisa is also gay, right? Is some queer. seems to be queer in some way. Posted a TikTok that very heavily indicates some flavor of queerness. <laughs> Which we are very uh, happy about. So listen, I know there is some controversy surrounding that. We will, you know, if we decide to do an episode, please, we please will know we in. will be aware uh, of all of that and talk about it. But we just, we we had to, we had to at least mention it because... You know, if we don't talk about Bruno, we have to at least talk about Encanto. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Also, in the greater list universe, I know that since Dancing with the Stars ended, everyone has just been been sadly just depressed waiting around for me to talk about Jojo Siwa again. So have no fear, everyone. Jojo Siwa is here. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, my God. No, Jojo Siwa posted a really, really sweet Instagram post on the one-year anniversary of when she came out last year. And listen, I just have to say, there is nothing that makes Ellie and I happier than watching someone live their best gay life. 
And that is what Jojo Siwa is doing. And that is what her message is basically to all of the many, many young people who look up to her. And I just think that's incredible. That's just incredible to me. I just love someone who is like, wow, I have a gigantic following of young people who deserve to see someone living their best gay life. life. And I'm like, yes. And we are yes, here. Yes, they do. We are and here for I JoJo living our best love gay love it. We love to see it. It just makes me happy. And so I just wanted everyone to know about it. You're welcome for some more JoJo Siwa content. <laughs> happy anniversary, JoJo. <laughs> happy anniversary. <laughs> There's been also there people, I just love queer actors. I mean, Lady Gaga is queer. Lady Gaga and Salma Hayek were both in the house of Gucci and they are on this press tour and Lady Gaga has been just like saying the best shit because she's Lady Gaga. <laughs> and so she's like, oh yeah, you know, me and Salma, we're just working off of each other's energies. And, you know, I was like, you know what? What if like, what if we hooked up here? Like, what if we just like cross this barrier and like have like, it gets pretty hot and steamy and everyone starts laughing and Salma Hayek's like, no, she's not kidding. <laughs> and so there's all this speculation going around that there was an actual gay scene that they filmed on tape with Lady Gaga and Salma Hayek that somehow made it onto the cutting room floor. But thank you, Lady Gaga, for bringing that to light for us. So we we at least can imagine it. You know, we know that it Ellie, exists somewhere. Is it time to... To revive our release the hashtag, kiss. release the kiss. <laughs> release the kiss, Gaga. We still got the shirts. Yes. They're there. Honestly, They're ready and waiting. Release the scene. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Give it to us. We also want to call out that the DC Extended Universe just announced the casting for Alicia Yo, who's going to be played by Ivory Aquino, who will be the first trans character played by uh and played by a trans actress in the dc extended universe so listen we love to see it in the batgirl movie oh yeah. batgirl batgirl oh, heck yeah oh ooh, yeah i'm in for that that's what's happening this week back to you ellie and lee Thanks, Ellie and Lee. We are so excited to bring you episode 11 of season five. This is Who Tells Our Story? And we are even more excited to be joined by a special guest tonight. We have Mariko Tamaki, who is a Canadian writer of comics and prose who writes comic books for Boom Studios, Marvel, DC Comics. She's the co-creator of the New York Times bestseller This One Summer. Just launched a new LGBTQ plus graphic novel imprint with Abrams and also has a new book, Cold, coming out pretty soon in February, which is a haunting YA novel about a shocking crime in a quiet town and four students who knew too much and said too little. Look at all of that. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. Hey, Mariko. Thank you for having me. Hello. Mariko, doing all of the things. Look at all those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like a working artist thing. I feel like as soon as you talk to any, like if you are an artist for a living, you have to do more than one. I don't know any artist for a living who just do one job. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's very, very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. Thank you. And we're very excited to talk to you today. Like Lee said, we want to talk to you about telling our own stories because as LGBTQ people, a lot of other people tell our stories for us or we hold our stories in for a very long time until we finally tell them, right? And especially with your book, Cold, 
we found that that was like a recurring theme, right? It was none of you have have read it yet, but you will. <laughs> we're gonna and we're gonna try. We're gonna keep and it. We'll like, try no to keep spoilers. it spoiler yeah, no free. Spoilers. Spoilers. All right, no spoilers. But the format of it, right, is that it is told from the perspective of multiple people telling different stories of the same events, yes. right? So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Like, what was the inspiration to like to have that style? of writing um well the inspiration was that i tried it multiple ways so i knew i wanted to write a murder mystery and i knew who i wanted the sort of murder mystery to be about in terms of who i knew the victim of the crime was going to be which is this teenage boy named todd who is like uh, one of the few gay kids at his school but as i sort of worked through it just started to feel very procedural and it started to feel like it was sort of automatically about the sort of outside in people looking at the life of this boy and trying to figure out the life of this boy. And then when I sort of went into the experience of this, this boy who's been dealing with, like amongst many other things, he's been dealing with like a lot of bullying at various sort of various levels throughout his high school life. He's been dealing with this bullying because it's so much about sort of tracking the events that lead to this kind of this tragic end for this one character. It just started to feel like I was kind of narrowing, creating this kind of doomed path for this one character. And I just thought, I wanted to sort of expand it. I wanted to sort of look at the sort of multiple queer lives that are going on to sort of make it be that it's not just this sort of like, it's not set in stone that because you go through A, that you're going to do B. So I wanted to have another character who has some perspective that's queer perspective on what's happened to this boy who's been murdered and to show sort of multiple takes on how to deal with what it means to be like an outcast or what it means to be an outsider, what it means to deal like with bullying in high school. And I think especially because it's a book for young readers, I don't think that there is a like moral obligation that any writer has, even if they have a younger audience to present. Like, you know, I think that there's a version of it that says you have to give younger readers kind of a guide or you have to give them a certain kind of message about what it means to be queer or like sort of what the good thing to do is in any situation. Like I was aware of a younger audience and so I wanted to present a broader field of the what ifs and what could be's of this yeah. situation. Well, and I love that too because it is funny like when you think about kind of murder mystery stories as a whole, right? Like that's sort of the whole premise of it is an incredibly simple story, usually like a very simple event that happened. And it's like if you just tell the story of the event like, that's not a story. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like the unraveling and like peeling back all of these layers of the story that are really like that's where the whole meat of the story is and like stepping your way back into like what actually happened. But it is interesting to get to do that from the two different perspectives, like from George's perspective of sort of figuring out what's what happened. And you do get the detective, like the murder investigation you know like the investigation into Todd's death but that piece of it you get mostly from Todd's ghost as opposed to like you know told from the perspective of like one of the detectives and their notes and their things and you know so it is it's like it's a different kind of spin on it and uh and for me like I super enjoyed because well we can talk a little bit about the like having that be the story of this character in the book but I just really liked getting to have all of that unfold from the perspective of, yeah, that gay kid who died, you know, like you're still getting his voice telling it. 
Sometimes, you know, like the one of the investigators, one of the detectives investigating us also queer. And sometimes I feel like when you're just like making your like, you know, there's always this kind of moment where you're like, is everybody gay in this? Am I just making everybody gay? <laughs> I mean, that's really one of the things that is, I mean, first of all, it's one of the things that's missing from so many representations is like you have like a queer character who's included in an otherwise straight world, as opposed to understanding that like that these things are about communities. Like in this case, I feel like this is a community of high school students, which are these kind of artificial communities you're kind of forced into. But I wanted it to be that there was the sort of misperceptions of things were across the board. It wasn't just that straight people didn't understand, you know, what this kid's life was like. It was that you were presented with whatever evidence you have. You're presented with whatever story you have. And you add that into that, whatever you're kind of looking for. And then you find sort of some version of that. A lot of the characters in this book kind of make a choice about how they're going to interpret a person based on what they already know or based on what they want to be true. For me, the character of Georgia, who's the female voice in this book, is kind of the one person who, because she's been given so many versions of stories that are sort of simplified because her mother's a children's book writer, so her mother has used her life to tell sort of various Mm -hmm. stories about, like, kids are okay. So she has kind of a built-in hesitancy around believing anything that feels too good to be true. So she's one of the few characters who really doesn't have anything to believe. And so she's able to just sort of like take in what she sees as opposed to sort of like be guided by what she's expecting to find. Yeah, I like that too. But I mean, also it's like, it is an interesting thing too. Like when we're talking, like, cause Georgia, yes, is like taking out in everything, but there's also this like obsession with CSI and stuff like that, right? So I felt (laughs) like there's like this, there is this like interesting play where I think I read I think I read this on like Facebook or something who knows but someone was saying like it's so interesting that like women are obsessed with like CSI or SVU yeah. and stuff when we're like we're Saturday so Night often Live did like, a like we're so often it. the victims or something like that I don't know I'm like are you a fan do you watch like is that why you were like I doing all the murder to. mystery stuff you were like I'm so into this stuff yeah I used to fall asleep every night to Criminal Minds that used to be my like going mm-hmm. to bed show <laughs> and then I started having one day I was like, oh, I wonder if I dream about murder all the time because this is what I'm going to bed to. Like, you know, I like, mean, who could say if there's a clear connection right? between those two things? It's <laughs> like no it one will know. Law and Order or was Criminal Minds were like the two things that were just on in like a you know, a bunch of episodes would be on as I was going to sleep. I think the thing that I've stopped watching them, I started, I mean, like this is gonna sound super like of the moment, but I started listening to podcasts. I feel like one of the podcasts I listen to, I think it's called Into the Dark, like sort of more like sort of long views about looking at investigations. And ever since I started listening to those, I kind of can't watch Criminal Minds anymore. Because once you really look at what police work looks like, like on a sort of daily, like the sort of microcosm, it's not like, oh, we found a thumbprint. Hey, this guy has a thumb. Oh, awesome. It's him. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) this is so, and I, like, I, I'm a writer of books. I'm in no way any person who holds any level of expertise about like police investigations. I only know what I have learned from podcasts. You know, I'm like my parents that way. But um, (laughs) it does seem to me to be like anything. It's like because I did graduate studies and I feel like as soon as you go into like any kind of graduate work, it's all about breaking down the assumptions you've had about any kind of story about. It's like, you know, anytime you hear a story about like, oh, the study was done and it proves this. As opposed to, oh, the study was done and it proves this tiny thing. It proves that this Mm -hmm. is true about this group of people at this time. 
the sort of like, oh, we want to believe these bigger things. We want to believe in simplicity, but like the more you read about anything, the more you see like, oh, it's just so incredibly tedious and complicated. And so I didn't want to completely just be like, police work is much harder than people think it is, or, you know, like not police work, but like detective work is much harder. But I wanted to look at the kind of, to sort of look at some blind spots, basically. I feel like I always want to put like a, like a little blurb at the front that's like, this is just fiction. This is just me be, this is me doing my best. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is nothing to read and say like that, you know, just, anything about anything from reading just, this book. We'll add that to the front of like every book ever written. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just want a little like post-it from the author being like, I just tried my best doing my over best. here. Right. <laughs> you did great. You did great. <laughs> you did I do great. love, I do want to sort of like go back to another thing that you said earlier, which is like that there's like a lot of queer people in this world right? To be fair, there's a lot of queer people in the world, in the world that we live in, right? And, and yet- we travel in packs, yes. damn it. And yet we're constantly hearing queer stories through a, through a straight lens. Like I think about like, I keep seeing like trailers for different films. Like there's this trailer with Mark Wahlberg. I've, has anyone seen this? There's like this whole thing, this whole movie with Mark Wahlberg and like his son dies and his son is queer. But yeah, so the story is like not about the sun really like they pretend like it's about the sun but really it's about Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg seeing the world through the lens of his son passing away and then like learning more about his son right and it's like I feel like they're constantly just worlds that are like full of straight people and then like one queer person and that's it so like I love that there's like like you said there's so many queer characters like the detective and also like his teacher as well what informed that for you like why was that an intent? Why was that a choice that you made? I mean, I think part of it is also that I came out in university. And then from the time I came out, I feel like my community was queer. Like I had, I had, you know, straight friends. I still have straight friends, but like just the majority of the people that are part of my world are queer people. And when I moved back to Toronto, where I'm from after university, and I as an artist, basically, especially growing up in Toronto, there's a theater there called Buddies and Bad Times Theater, which is a queer space, queer theater. And so like all of me being an artist was about being a part of that world. And I feel like I just assumed that that was the population that we were writing to and about. And I think that I was very lucky in that a lot of my early work as an artist was like, especially, you know, growing up on like spoken word stages. It was like I was speaking directly to queer people. And so I never assumed that I had to write about anything else. Like I just assumed that it was just like, that's what you did. And I think that that has been, it's just been my default. And I'm like, it's funny because I think now I have to like make a conscious decision to make a character straight. <laughs> and I think that- You're that like, is... I've heard rumors of straight people. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> stories. She be, yeah, she could be straight. Like, I think the same way, you know, like whenever people sort of count it as a decision, I think if you grow up in a straight world and you are straight and you assume everybody else in the world around you is straight, then you make that decision. And I've just made, you know, I don't like to think of it as the opposite decision. It's just, it's my world and it's the, it's my experience and the people that I came up with and the artists that I came up with. And I grew up with queer writers and as an artist, like that was who was kind of, you know, forming my, my perspective. And so I think it's been kind of a privilege to be able to do that. And I guess like I've thought sometimes about sort of not doing that. It's like, um, although like 
one time I was doing this Q&A and we were talking about unpopular people. And I was saying I mostly write about unpopular people, like outsider people. And some girl at the front of the stage was like, who's going to tell the stories of popular people? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you, oh, no. Like you, yeah. like can you like, like if you want to write it, you can. Yeah, I was like, that's a, you know, it's like, what about the popular people? I was like, wow, that's like a really <laughs> weird campaign to like, you know, like I don't even know what that flag looks like. Like if you're a popular people flag, but um, <laughs> like I do think that that is justice you know, for the popular kids. Well, and that's why you know, to me, it's so much a story of access, right? It's really, to me, the argument is really about making more space and putting more resources behind queer people who want to tell their stories as opposed to like including queer people in the stories of straight people. Like I do Mm -hmm. think, I think, Mm -hmm. I think it's great to have my friend Zoe Whittle, I think had a quote about like the kind of oddity of the sort of like, like the Riverdale queer character whose best friends were all straight people. And her point was like, (laughs) most queer people have a lot of queer friends. Like they don't all like, you know, just want to hang out with straight women all the time. Yeah. Although some do. And, you know, that's cool. So that's what you <laughs> want to do. But like, I think it's just about being included in someone else's reality as opposed to making space for like a different perspective. I, oh my God, I have like so many things that I want to talk about I right now. Saw, but... I saw you, Lee, just like bursting <laughs> My the brain is like a million like, miles yeah. a minute. I can't keep up with <laughs> I'm it. Like, wait, what? Yes. Okay, I'm going to start with the one that you just said, though, that is so, because I feel like it's exactly the same thing you were just saying, Ellie, with like the Mark Wahlberg movie, is it's like, that's not a, that's not a queer movie. That's not a movie about a queer person. That's not like, that is pitching to straight audiences, like, hey, look, a dead queer character that we can, like, learn about and grow for ourselves in the process. Like, meh. Yes. (laughs) I don't, we don't need that, you know? And, like, and it's why I think there's something, like, Cold is interesting because I think at, like, a surface level, if you hand people a book and be like, it's about a gay kid who dies, like, that's what you expect you're going to get. Right. Like you expect you're going to get that story of like, oh, maybe they'll uncover that he was gay and then you'll get to see his parents like struggle with that or like have known but have been ashamed of him. And how does that make them feel about themselves? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the story (laughs) that I feel like we've all seen time and time again. And like nobody needs it anymore, you know, but that's not what cold and it's so a, it's so fun to get to see, like, see the story unfold where, like, you do have so many different perspectives and so many of them are queer, including the queer perspective of the queer kid who died, you know? Like, that's, there's just, like, so many layers that go into that that I, that I just, I love that. And I also, because I love that, like, it it touches on this idea as well of, like, something that we've talked about in the past where, like, there's a lot of like everybody knows bury your gaze and knows the trope and is like right. tired of the trope sure. and tired of like gay characters dying and like yeah. and then you get into this like weedy middle ground area of like but also sometimes like we're going to have characters that die in our stories like that's a legitimate thing and a narrative that happened a tool and like you 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 can't just never kill a character and 
also, if you're writing, you know, like you just said, if I'm writing stories that center numerous queer characters, like, does that mean you're just never allowed to have a character die? Like, how does that, <laughs> where does that leave you, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think it's also like, yeah, like there's tropes, right? Like, and I think the thing is, is that if the trope is all you get, if the only way you're going to get a queer character in a story is if he's a tragic reminder of like, right you know, the inhumaneness of man or what have you, then that's our, you know, the in-personness of persons. Like, then it's not good. But I also think it's like, I mean, like, the more stories you have, the more we can kind of, like, like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, anything wrong with certain tropes. Like, I personally, I'm not a big fan of coming out stories now. That's just me. It's because I grew up in an age of, like, cheesy lesbian coming out movies you know, Claire of the Moon was like my gateway into lesbianism. So I'm just coming back from that. Like, I'm still trying to like grapple with that part of my life. But I don't think there's anything wrong with them. And that is a super important part of a lot of queer people's lives. Like a lot of people yeah. have that moment of like realizing that thing about themselves. And it's a perfectly good story. It's just because it was so, so much a part of all I could read. That's just, I'm not interested personally in it anymore. But I think it's like, that, like, I want there to be multiple versions of that. I want there to be, like, a coming out story that I've never heard before. Like, I, I want there to be more of those stories so that it's not just, like, the only gay stories you get are a gay person saying to a straight person, you don't understand what it's like to be me. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see yeah. different versions of things. Like, it's funny because I just watched Sort Of, uh, which is this amazing show on HBO Max. And it's just got this incredible combination of like, there's so many different queer characters. There's so many different versions of like what it means to be a queer person in like today that there is like elements of sort of, you know, having to come out, but it's so much, it's so much uh, tempered by the specificness of like all of these stories coming together. Yeah. It's like one of the few sort of scenes like that, that you, that I've seen recently that I've really enjoyed because I feel like yeah. it feels so like a lot of coming out stories feel very retro to me especially if they're like in movies where it's like set in the 1800s or whatever <laughs> well yeah that go, is go like ahead, the Ellie, defini go ahead. definition <laughs> of retro no listen, that's, like that's one of the person, tropes that I'm over like I'm as you're over coming out yeah I can't yeah. do the 1800s I watched Ammonite <laughs> I loved it I thought it was great yeah I'm well, so and it's that. and it's funny because it's like there are like Ellie, you hate them, but like Jana can't get enough of them. Yeah, you my know? girlfriend's like, like obsessed with these period pieces. So I'm like the only like I have to be like, she's like, do you want to watch this? I'm like, I'll watch it with you. But like, I don't it, want yeah. to. But like, but that's what I love about it is it's like, A, there's all like tropes just are. Tropes are, they will always be, you know, like they're going to be what they are. But I feel like there's something that's fun about A, having there be like everyone's at a different place with them, you know, like everyone's going to be at their own place in terms of like, what's the trope that I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm just like, ugh, you know, like not even not even like a queer trope, but I feel like we hit a, a space at one point where like my wife and I kind of did the same thing where I was like, I just can't watch another show that's like just about high schoolers like. I just, I can't, like, we're in our 30s, like, I just want to, I just want to watch something else, like, it's not, nothing against them, they're great shows, glad people like them, I'm just like, it's not what I'm here for right now, but I just, I also love the idea of, like, when you can see sometimes how even a, tr like, what should be a trope is still different when it's, like, 
when there's a queer person telling that story, you know, because that's when you don't get the Mark Wahlberg story. That's when you get like a nuanced, real queer story in which like a queer character can die. And that's not the moral messaging of it, you know, like that's not the takeaway. That's not like que- they're not queer to have died in the story. Yeah. I guess. Do you know what I you No, know what and I, mean? I took it. I mean, I think this book took me a really long to a really long time to write. And part of it was because I was my first murder mystery. But part of it was because I took very seriously the fact that I was killing a gay character mm-hmm. and that I wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything about it that was romanticized or that was you know, truly didn't want to leave anybody with the message that there was like a tragic, so we can learn the lesson of like, we need to be loving to everybody, that there was something more that I had to say about it. And I think, like, I do think that there is a weight on queer writers writing about their experiences. On the one mm-hmm. hand, it's like the the weight of just like your own of trying to be like true to your own experiences. But there is also, I think, the weight of your community and your like your desire to not put anything else into the world that feels like it's just repeating the same story that feels like a story that's kind of like restricted people as opposed to sort of like, you know, open people up to more experiences. Maybe that's putting a ton of pressure on. <laughs> yeah. But I don't like it is a pressure. But like, it is. For me, that's always been like, I mean, part of it is also that I grew up, you know, like reading my pieces to a like an audience and then you like walk out into the audience and people tell you what they think (laughs) immediately (laughs) so having that that feedback has definitely been a part of me growing up as an artist how is that feedback for you now because like you're not going to be sharing everything publicly before it's printed right how is that different I mean I think part of being a public person is that you have to I mean the first time that I understood this one summer was the first book that I ever wrote that I truly understood that more people than just my friends were going to read it. Like it was like my first sense of like, we had a book launch for it in Toronto. And I was like, when we got there, I was like, I don't know anybody here. <laughs> I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, before that, it was just like my community. And I was like, oh, this is going outside of that. So I'm not really sure how that works. It's like even people interpreting your work and interpreting the meaning of what you were going to say or what you've said in a book is is a mind is a trip. I think you have to decide as an artist whose opinion really matters to you and who you like really like who you trust for their feedback and I get that feedback. I have like a pretty close-knit group of people who have very solid opinions that they are perfectly willing to share with me even if they're not liking what I'm doing. So I have that (laughs) group of people and I feel like I have my editors. I have like the sort of that. And I think beyond that, I think it's very hard to be ruled by other people's evaluations. Like I don't ever go on Goodreads. Let's put it that way. I don't go on Goodreads. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Yeah, please please don't. (laughs) That seems to be the resounding message of every writer we know. (laughs) I I think that there's nothing. I mean, I think it's super valid. And I know that there's lots of people who depend on it. And there's people who use that as like their input for like the books that they pick. And there's, you know, like I think being a reader and a critical reader and putting your opinion and putting your critique out there is like super important. I just don't necessarily find it helpful for me to take that on. It's a lot to maintain like your own mental health with all of those voices going on. Yeah, it's so, a lot. 
Yeah, exactly. Understandable. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, I think especially once I started working in comics, I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot. This is a lot of a lot of people who want to let me know what they think about this thing. I'm like, can I ask you which comics have you worked on and like which ones had the most discussion behind them? I mean, they all do. I work for Marvel and I work for DC Comics over the past like five or six years. And so the last, uh, the thing I'm writing now is the detective series for Batman. There are people who have been a fan of that book since they were, it's like the thing that they grew up with. And it means something to them. Like, you know, they're part of a much longer story and I'm a very small part of that. Yeah, all fans are intense Um, in a way that is just like, you know, I love fandom too. Look, it used to be a very uncool thing to be a fan of something. And so I think, you know, I certainly grew up with things that meant the world to me. For me, it was just a much more private thing, right? Like for me, my fandom is like, like me and my laptop, <laughs> like alone. <laughs> it's not like sharing, but I also think that it's been like a, it's been like a life raft for people too. So I have like all the respect in the world for that. Yeah, we are like very, very many of our listeners are big on fandom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we are yeah. definitely big on fandom here, but like, doing our best to keep that fandom non-toxic like having <laughs> we, that place we frequently a, choose our words very carefully yeah, be, yeah. A, be a place where people feel supported yeah. by the fit like feel like you can share your love of something with other people who also love it like that's an exciting hey there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Exciting part of fandom to me. There is a queer Comic-Con, like a queer comic Comic-Con, BlameCon is amazing. And like, it was a huge light bulb moment for me Mm. to go to that and see like queer cosplay. I'd never been in a room of just queer cosplay. And that like, you know, which to me is like, all comics are, is fan fiction. If, I mean, I'm writing Batman, I'm writing a form of fan fiction, like a hundred percent. And the evolution of these things comes from fans. Fans push things forward. Fans like, you know, it's the love of fans that keeps these things alive. And just seeing like people embodying this thing that makes them so happy in this queer way was just like, I was like, this is the best. (laughs) Like, I was like, I am dramatically underdressed for this event, but I'm loving all of this. This is so cool. Just... Is FlameCon still going on? I mean, obviously, like, conventions are not right now. But, like, is did it is that a thing it's that still might going. happen again? I, mean, I think it's still going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think all cons are kind of on hold. Yeah, Because right? they are literally massive indoor events. 
of yeah. people. Yeah. Like, I think it has to be safe to go. I'm holding off until it's safe to go. Um, yeah, sure. But I'm very excited to go back. Like, to me, it's it's such a cool part of being a creator is to like, like, I mean, on the one hand, I certainly don't want the work that I do to be dictated by like everyone's thoughts and opinions. On the other hand, to go and meet the people who love your work is just such a uniquely awesome part of being a writer. Yeah. I'm like, I want to go to FlameCon if it ever comes oh my back God. now. It's I'm like, so I need to see good. this. I always walk away with like a shirt. Like for me, it's like, I always walk away with a shirt that people for like the rest of the year, like, where'd you get that shirt? And you're like, you can't have this shirt. I got this shirt at FlameCon. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what if I'm like, no, no. You have to go to FlameCon. It's probably not true, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, shirt, I'm sure they sell them online, but the only place, yeah. The yeah. shirt, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of being a creator and being a queer creator, we want to talk a little bit about the imprint that you're yes. working on because like we're talking about cold, but we want to, it's really also so cool that you are helping share other LGBTQ stories. So can you tell us a bit more about your imprint? So Shirley Books is LGBTQ comics by LGBTQ creators, and we are an imprint of Abrams. Really, the whole idea was my girlfriend. So my girlfriend, Heather Gold, who's also an artist and and a comedian and uh, really just amazing person, one day was like, you should have, she was like, all you talk about is like wanting to edit and helping make more comics. She was like, why don't you start an imprint? And I was like, oh, no, that sounds like a ton of work. Let's not do that. (laughs) But I had had a really positive experience. I had worked on the Lumberjane series with Abrams because they did the prose version of the original comics. And so they were super into it. And they had this Afrofuturistic imprint already going with John Jennings. So I thought that that would be sort of like a good place for us, for me to be. And basically we have, it's kind of unique in that our, really our agenda our gay agenda is that <laughs> I was waiting to say it. I was like, <laughs> don't, are... don't give away secrets. What a straight people yeah. listen. Which is They'll gay. know everything. Yeah. What's your gay agenda? Usually it's <laughs> breakfast. My gay agenda is like <laughs> breakfast first. Yeah. But we really, it's really creator focused. So we don't have any kind of, you know, in terms of genre or in terms of like fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, you know, like anything we want to do, we can kind of do. So it's very focused on that part of it. So our first book came out this year. It's called Lifetime Passes by Terry Blast with Claudia Aguirre. And it's about, it's kind of like Heather's Miss Cocoon, I always say. It's about these teenagers who are obsessed with this theme park. And then this one teenager finds out that she's not going to be able to afford her pass. But they find out that the theme park has this policy that if a member of your party dies while you're at the theme park, that you get lifetime passes. And uh, this girl decides that she's going to use her aunt's, uh, her aunt works at like a senior center. So they start bringing seniors to the theme park (laughs) with the hopes that (laughs) that somebody will, that like, you know. It's so ridiculous and great. It is ridiculous and great. And I think the thing is, is that Terry does such a great job of really bringing together like really kind of like wicked premises with really heartfelt stories. And it's really an incredible, and I think rare, like intergenerational story about people coming from a variety of different places where they need support and they need help and they just need something that feels safe. Like, you know, you know, it's like you want something that feels like home and they sort of find each other in the story. And it's really, it's really like, it's like a wicked premise, but then it's very like, you know, like, 
crying by the end of it kind of graphic novel. Very Amazing. cool. Yeah. I also love cuz I mean sorry to like quote yourself back at you but <laughs> but I read uh you said let me read a quote from somebody. <laughs> I'm not going to read the quote. I'm just saying like it's funny to be like I saw you said in this other interview but you also mentioned that it's like it's mostly about highlighting queer writers, queer creators. But it doesn't have to be that, like, the stories themselves are, like, super queer-focused, yeah. too. And which I also love, like, in terms of how it kind of ties into, like, this theme that we're talking about. Because, you know, we're talking about, like, telling our own stories and, like, our own voices and all that stuff. But, like, you know, kind of like what you said before, like, you might have a lot of stories that, like, oh, I grew up surrounded by queer people and, like, my stories have tons of queer people in them. But, like, that's not every queer person's experience you know and like we're allowed to tell stories with straight people in them too and it's like it's still gonna be different and it's still gonna be like a different perspective and yeah. a different voice and like that's still so important so I just I don't know I just love that 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 you like called that out in the our interview that I read about it because I just think that's great what do queer stories look like it's like you said exactly like I grew up in a community of queer people so maybe my story looks very different than somebody who grew up or lives a life that they're mostly surrounded by straight people. Like I, what does a queer person in a story to look, look like? You know, there's, there are characters in, in Lifetime Passes that are queer, but that's not necessarily what the story itself is about. So, yeah. you know, like there's a sort of self-identifying that has to happen in a lot of queer stories. You can be like, just so you know, this is a queer story. I'm going to tell this person that I'm queer so you know that we can kind of move forward with that. As opposed to like a lot of interactions and there are certainly a lot of stories for queer people in their lives that don't involve identifying yourself as a queer person as you yeah. move forward. Like, you know, like, and I think that that has been kind of an interesting part of this is that really because we're just focusing on the creators, it kind of opens us up to like, yeah, like what kinds of realities, what kinds of stories do you want to tell? I would so much rather read a story about straight people written by a queer creator then read like an awful lot not like I'm not gonna say all because it's not all I have read great queer stuff written by straight people sure. but like but mo a lot mo a, a heavy amount of <laughs> of queer stories written by straight people tend to lack something for a lot of us they don't resonate always the same way you know like not like they never do or they can't or like straight people aren't allowed to write queer characters like that's it's not it's more nuanced than that I guess what I'm getting at you know well, and I think it's a really like one of my favorite writers Timothy Finley is a Canadian gay writer who's sadly no longer with us but I mean most of his stories were about straight characters and I just you know I don't think it made the writing any less queer really like I feel like queer writing is as much about a yeah. perspective on things as it is about characters or sex or you know gender in any given book um I mean I think too like I'm trying to also think of a diplomatic way to say this like I, <laughs> I made a decision a while ago that I was like I don't know how many more like I am I think wary of stories about especially like female characters that are written by men because I just, I think it's like I've been burned a couple times by things where I feel like it's not for me that the story is being written. Not that the stories have yeah. to be written for me, oh. but like, I think it is your choice as a consumer of art to say, I don't want to read these anymore. I'm not saying you can't make them and they're certainly being made, but I personally don't want to see this perspective on this world. 
Like I just don't. And in part, that's because I'm longing for different perspectives. Like I'm longing for more BIPOC creators to get to tell their stories before I see another story of like a certain population talking about a certain population. Like I just am not into it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's your choice as a consumer. Like it's your choice about what you want to, about what you want to support. And I think it's really important for me as a queer creator to support other queer creators. Like I am constantly kind of reviewing what it is that I'm reading because I think that there's some defaults that I have because of when I grew up and because of what like my canon was when I grew up. And I feel like every once in a while I have to sort of like ask myself why I'm only reading certain stories by certain people. Because I want to support more than that. And part of me doing that is by spending my money and my time on yeah. different creators. Oh, there's there's definitely that component of it, too. But I also, like, I <laughs> let me quote you back at you some more. Uh, <laughs> but, this time, but this time from your book. Can I include, like, a quick quote from Cold? It's not oh, sure. spoilery. It's, it's from the first chapter. But just because I love, like, and, and we started talking about this a little bit, that, like, Georgia... Georgia kind of talks about this experience of like her mom writing these kids books that are like based on her and her brother and hating them, <laughs> you know, and and I just I love like she has this quote that she says that I really like that says maybe I don't like this book because it's not me. And yet somehow it's me, you know, and like I think that that's like so much of what you're getting at, too, is like this idea of other people telling us our own stories like whether that's men writing like women's stories whether it's like you know straight people writing queer stories whether it's white people writing BIPOC stories like it's not it's never the case that like it's impossible for it to be good or it's impossible for it to be like a good you're just saying like a good piece of art like impactful right but there's it's like a not dif- it's a not that and it's not that like it shouldn't be allowed or you shouldn't do it. It's just like eh, I, I I like kind of what I was saying is like I would just much rather like especially where Ellie and I like we talk about this all the time that I'm like I would just kind of much rather like consume queer media by queer people like even if it's not about being queer even if it's not like focused on like. The whole point of this is like, hey, a gay character surrounded by gay people. Like, I don't I don't even need that. Even if it's just like, hey, I'd much rather support a queer creator <laughs> telling a cool story that they want to tell. That's still like there's just there's so many different pieces that all kind of mix in together there, you know, like and that's that's why this was like the the theme to me that I was like, this is what I want to dig into because I think it is it's like it does get into this messy area where like people want to start using it to like draw lines in the sand and like gatekeep people out and like you can't write that book you're bad for doing it and you can't do this and tropes are this and you know like just there's so much in there that I think is it's just more complicated than that and like I don't know yeah, I, I mean, don't I, have a point here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I do think it is. I'm building to nothing. <laughs> no, but I think it is complicated and I think it's worth thinking about. I think part of being a critical reader and a critical consumer is thinking about the choices that you're making and thinking about what the things that you're reading are sort of part of in terms of the larger picture, but also like part of in terms of your perspective and what it lends to like art is entertainment and art is also for me something more than that like i want the books that i read to be things that are 
I can, I mean, this is super cheesy, but like, whatever, I feel like the books that I read are kind of a part of me, you know, like, and I, mm. I feel like it's a part of my artistic practice reading. And I feel like it's a part of who I am as an artist and who I am as a member of the queer community. And so like, I feel like it's maybe possible to put like too much weight on what you're reading. Like, honestly, that there's, look, I mean, I watch, I go to see every Marvel movie that comes out. Like, that's where my dollars are also going. <laughs> but I also really love that uh, that Chloe Zhao was the director of one of the last Marvel movies. And I truly thought that her perspective really, I really felt the impact of her perspective on the movie that got made. Like, for me, part of being a cultural consumer is like a level of critique and disappointment and elation and all of these things. like. And I feel that in relation to queer creators in, in a different way than I feel it in relation to straight creators. Like, I feel like it's an ongoing conversation. And I, I think that sometimes people find it really confrontational to say, like, even for me to say, like, I don't want to read, like, straight men writing about teenage girls anymore. I'm just not interested in their, their hot take on that. Um, and obviously I said hot take, so I'm being like judgmental, but like, I feel like it's part of me when people take it as an insult, like want to say like, I take this really seriously too. Like, yeah. I'm not saying this for you. I'm saying this for me and for what I want to be a part of my world and where, like what art I want to see more of and all of these things. So I'm not being flippant and I, yeah. And I think it's something the not being flippant, I think is something too, that like, most people who are also creating their own content, I think, like, aren't super flippant about, you know? I mean, again, like, I, I can't blanket statement. Yeah. But, like, Ellie, like, we've talked about this, too, just in terms of, like, you know, like, as we create our own stuff, you know? like That we're, like, a much, much more um, gracious towards other creators because you're just, like... <laughs> okay, yeah, like, you you are working really hard to put together. You're like, we know all the shit you are going through and doing. So, like, yeah, yeah I think it, it's just the same stuff that we've sort of been saying of, like, you can make it good for you. Like, <laughs> this sounds so sarcastic. I'm not trying to be. Congratulations, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> it's really not trying to be like that. But also, we don't have to consume it if it's not for us. Right. right. And I also think it's like there's different worlds, you know? It's like I, whenever I talk to my mom and what my mom is reading at any given time, she just loves the books that she loves. You know what I mean? She's not like, she's not getting into it. She's not thinking about the same thing. She didn't have the same context. And, you know, like, it's funny because you go to like a different room and you sort of like talk about your concerns about what you're, you know, what you're watching and what you're reading. And it is not the same as the people that you're talking to. But I also <laughs> think that I have been, I mean, one of the great things about being the other, so, you know, in terms of the going to cons and stuff like that is I've had the opportunity to go to a lot of different writers festivals and meeting other writers and sort of getting other writers perspectives on things and talking to people who are, you know, from their first novel to people who have been writing since, you know, since the 60s or whatever. And I think it's, it's always good to sort of get sort of different perspectives about like, the thing that you think is like the most important thing in the world and then talking to someone else and then having their most important thing in the world. And you're like, oh, they're different. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's we have run into that because our newest projects over the the basically over the pandemic, because we we released one and then we're working on our second right now is we're, we're working on queer rom-com 
podcast musicals and we're like literally like how niche upon niche can you make that just like just deeper and deeper to like a smaller and smaller pool of people who are like yeah that's my jam and we're like but it's our jam so like that's that's the and that's what matters at the end of the day you know is like what is your jam and are you like focusing on that because someone out there is gonna agree and uh, the people who don't like what are you gonna do you're not gonna change their minds you know and I think it's great also like my jam has evolved like when I first started when the pandemic started uh my girlfriend and I got the criterion collection I hate old movies. I'm not an old movie person. <laughs> I was like down with old movies. And now I'm like, I only want to watch old movies. Like now I'm obsessed <laughs> with like movie stars of long ago. Like my current favorite actor is this man named William Powell, who is not, is like long dead. And I am obsessed with him. So I feel like, like that is the other thing too, is I feel like, you know, like to me, you can read whatever you want to read, follow your your sort of like heart on that one. But I also feel like it's a great thing to to go outside of what you think is like art or what you think is the things that you're going to like and try something else. Like to me, yeah. that's a kind of like that's my version of like being an artist is like trying to find other things. Like I also say this as someone who watches at least two episodes of Great British Bake Off every day. Yes. <laughs> like, every time there's a new season, I'm like, woo, that's good because I know all the lines by heart. So it's good to like expand by a couple episodes every once in a while. So I know what it means to just like want to watch the same thing over and over again because it's relaxing. But I also think that um like if you feel like you have a sense of queer art and then you kind of step outside of your world a little bit and then you see like, oh like even going to another country and seeing like, oh, this is like, this is not what I thought of as like, these stories are so different. Yeah. And what, I mean, what I love that now sounds too, very like colonialist. <laughs> sort of, uh, no. Just that no. it's good to see, read other things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like you've definitely been saying like, just to like, exp- yeah, expanding your like, expanding your idea of like where you can find art and queer art and all kinds of stuff. But I also love Two, that like since all of the like coming out trope films and like all of the very like similar and far between queer media, there is this like expansive world of queer media like for people to discover. So like so that it's exciting to me that like you can say, hey, I literally never want to watch something written by a straight man ever again. And you could find, like, enough content to keep watching. Yeah. That's yeah. very exciting to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I've am i been able to go to, because, you know, like, living in the East Bay, going to uh, Frameline and going to, you know, see, I mean, and I grew up in Toronto, so I grew up going to, like, you know, I got to see art that my friends were making. You know what I mean? And, like, that's, which is so different from what the mainstream is. So I feel like that's been... Yeah, I I always love to see something like, you know, I like the sort of rough edges of like, also, I kind of love the rough edges of like, we just made this because we love it. Yeah, it's weird. This is not like, a, yeah. like we made this movie. It's kind of weird. See, I feel like I feel like that's my jam right now. My jam right now is just people making the like, this is the thing that I am like, desperately passionate to have exist out there. And like, 
I just love it, especially if those people are queer. That's like that's that's our jam right now. That's my jam, at least. I'm speaking for both of us, Ellie. We are a single unit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I for mean me, that, that was like, uh, you know, like my introduction to comics was zines, right? Was like people who were just like, I'm going to make this magazine because I just broke up with my girlfriend and I want everyone <laughs> to know about it. I have a photocopier. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that was. Uh, Were you also writing these zines? I was writing. I wasn't writing them about breakups per se, but I <laughs> listen. I was the secretary for many, many years, and so Amazing. I, I made. I made good use of the free photocopying that was available to me. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. How far we have come. Now oh. there's like now I feel like people are making zines like on Instagram. Like you know what I mean? Like they're making like digital zines. Yeah. Well, that's the but, thing. I think it's, you know, I do think that there's an incredible advantage to people who are creating like things like comics now because you can get your comic to 100,000 people without having to make 100,000 copies of it. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's really just like a it's such an amazing thing to see. Like I follow tons of people on Instagram who are just like, you know, putting out many comics and that has been that's been like it's like the highlight of my day usually reading those things i know i do love a good a good uh web comic there's one well, and- I, well, I forget what their name oh, i forget what their name is i'm gonna <laughs> find them and i'll tell you but they were writing very like i don't even know how i stumbled across them probably from like hashtag lesbian who knows they were writing this super gay comic and i was like every single day they were releasing one i was like this is so impressive yeah to be like every single day you're pu- putting a new like story and it was all building on the same story joey allison uh who Mm. does things with the nib is one of my favorites right now i'm looking him up i'm gonna follow him uh done she is yes lady cartoonist library worker potato chip aficionado (laughs) comics are awesome there's like a lesbian ants one too that one's funny yeah that's like that's like more of a meme one but i feel like i feel like i've grown into my lesbian ant identity like i feel like there was one day that I was walking just to, like the CVS or something and I caught sight of myself in the mirror and I was like, whoa, I'm a lesbian aunt right now. I was like, <laughs> our teacher slash lesbian aunt, like there was just so many layers happening and like so many of them that I made myself. <laughs> I was like, Woo, this is strong. This vibe is very intense. And I took a photo of it and shared it and everybody was like, yeah, that's it. Embrace that's it. what you are now. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like all of our dreams? I have a I have a lesbian aunt. She's, you know, everyone knows her. So it is its goals to be the lesbian. Yeah. Hey, I've got the lesbian mom vibe going and that is strong as well. Yeah. So listen. I don't look like a lesbian mom. I don't look like someone who has like I look like someone who is temporarily looking after somebody. <laughs> not permanent nothing permanent like i look like somebody who's going to feed somebody something that they shouldn't eat and then send that kid home mm. so that the consequences can be felt by someone else yeah i've got the like the lesbian mom who has like taken on the mantle of like i am your dad now i will make the dad jokes like this is you know we've all, everybody's got to find their place got to yeah. find your role mm-hmm Find that vibe. Yeah. In the lesbian family hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Wherever you can fit in there. Are you the gay cousin? Are you the gay, like, sister? You know, it's like everyone has to f- cast themselves. You know how they call a gay uncle a gunkle? Yes. What do they call lesbian aunts? Like, is it a lesbian have, like, Is Yeah, is that Ooh, a thing? I like that. Lesbian aunt? I like Seems that. Seems like it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like... um. 
The thing with that is, is that it's, it has to be self-identifying. I feel like you can suggest what someone else is, but that is up for them to like accept or reject. You can't like just say, you're the gay uncle. If that person's like, no, I'm not. You're like, okay, then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They have to have like have bought a shirt that says Gunkle on it and yeah. wear it to the holiday parties. Yeah. So for you to be like, okay, yes. That the what we're it. saying yeah. is <laughs> you have to let people tell their own stories. Nail the landing yes. on that one. <laughs> be your own Sick story. Bad. Yes, yes, exactly. Be your own be, story. Be Just your own gunkle. Crushed the dismount. <laughs> yes. Is it time for our Q and Gay then, Lee? Is that what we're leading into? Let's do some Q and Gay, Ellie. I'm ready. Q, 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 Here we go. Question number one. Have you ever been frustrated by having someone else tell your story? A, yes, or B, no? Yes. A. <laughs> Good answer. Excellent. Yeah, well, have you, um, you have to circle, fill in the bubble completely for it to count <laughs> We'll put it in the scandron, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question two. What is your go-to crime show out of A, Criminal Minds, B, Law & Order, C, CSI, or D, Rosalia Niles? None of the above. <laughs> No, because you don't because you don't watch right, them. Anymore. Right. An answer. Right. An answer. No. Or is Broad there Church. another one? Now my now my go to oh, is Broadchurch. There you go. Yeah. OK. Secret Generally answer. UK. E. Yeah. Secret answer. E. Broadchurch. Nice. So, OK. The guests get to have secret answers. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> e. Broad the Twitter Church. poll only gets four options. <laughs> yes. All right. Question number three. What trope are you most tired of? A. Barrier gaze. B. Coming out. Or C. 1800s gaze. Oh, A. Barrier gaze. Mm. <laughs> that's probably a tricky thing for me to say having just written this it's book it's not it's yeah not. it's okay it's not the uh, same. it's not <laughs> question four have you ever attended FlameCon? a not yet b yes c yes and i got a t-shirt or d yes and i did queer cosplay <laughs> c yes and i got a t-shirt because i always get a t-shirt amazing all right question number five what would you rather read a, straight people writing queer stories. B, queer people writing straight stories. I just want to get the votes on it is all. <laughs> oh, queer people writing B, queer people writing straight stories. Some of my favorite straight stories are by queer people. No surprise. Which ones? What, what straight stories are your favorite? Uh, I mean, well, <laughs> Something Timothy we never Finley. thought I'd ask on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, Timothy <laughs> Finley's Not Wanted on the Voyage, which is basically about Noah's Ark. I'm trying to think. Although, you know what? I say that. I haven't read the book recently, so it is entirely possible that there's something I missed the last time I read the book, which was a long time ago, that I wouldn't like now. So Emma Donog, who wrote Room, is one of my favorite writers, and uh, Room is one of my favorite books. It's essentially about a straight person, two straight people, or a straight person, and she is gay. And uh, Room Very is one cool. of my favorite books. There I you go. I think I knew that. It's good to know. Yeah. Very More cool. gays, you know. Yes. And <laughs> yes. if you haven't read Room, it is like maybe one of the most traumatizing books. I would say even if you've seen the movie, you should read the book because the book is excellent. Book's usually better than the movie. Yeah. Depends. But remember, everyone, you can give us your own answers to this episode's Q&A questions on Twitter at Les Hangout Pod. Mariko, thank you so much for hanging out with us and just chatting about all of the things. Where can our listeners find you on social media? The place that I am most is Instagram, Mariko Tamaki on Instagram. I'm Mariko Tamaki on Twitter too, but I don't really post on Twitter as much. Mostly I'm posting Wordles on Twitter now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is the only thing I'm posting on Twitter. That's fair. That's fair. 
but yes. it's the wordle stage of the pandemic it's so where that's I'm allowed. At. yes yeah i love them my friends love them i like comparing myself to my friends that's working really well for me right now <laughs> yes and then do I say the book that's coming out? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell more, everyone yeah. where they can find colds. Tell everyone uh, what you have coming up for the imprint or anything else that you want to let people know about. So cold is coming out in February from Roaring Book Press. It's by myself. I also have, I mean, you can find comics that I've written at your local comic book store. I think the queerest thing that I've written recently is Crush and Lobo with Amonke Nahupem. Maybe it's, very gay. And then the next Shirley book, which I don't know exactly what it's coming out, but it's coming out this year, is Flung Out of Space, uh, inspired by the Indecent Adventures of Patricia Highsmith by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templer. Very cool. Is Flung Out does Flung Out of Space have anything to do with Carol? Well, it's about hit Patricia Highsmith who wrote Carol. Who wrote oh, The Price of Salt. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was like, I don't know who the I'm so sorry. No, no, no. That makes fine. sense. But I'm and like, then, yeah, Ellie, keep up. I'm like, Come yeah, on. this is definitely Carol. It's very uh <laughs> Very sexy and funny and interesting and obviously about an incredibly complicated person. I think a really amazing uh, look at an artist's life because it's really about sort of the sort of writer behind romantic stories and the kind of disconnect between sort of what you can what you can create and what that means to a community as a writer and like the potential mismatch of like who you are as a person. Like if whoever you are as a person is kind of a terrible person, but you make these things that like mean the world to a community, like what that means so yes because very yes, cool Patricia Highsmith was kind of horrible but made Carol so <laughs> god damn it yeah <laughs> so conflicted yeah no and so I much conflict it's, it's a really great book because it really kind of it looks I mean it looks at a lot of things but I think it's important to look at the people in our community that we kind of want to hold up and the people that you know we maybe don't want to hold up as sort of part of our history because our history includes lots of people like that so yeah yeah it's really cool coming out soon very very cool thank you so much for hanging out with us i know people are gonna love reading cold and all the other stuff that you've got going on it has been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me this is great let's do this again sometime (laughs) yes yes. i'm not the first person to say that (laughs) there's no way (laughs) It's amazing. Let me hear you say hip, 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 well, yeah. We love hearing from all of you and we love continuing to build this community. So we just like to shout out some of our favorite things every episode. And this week we want to shout out one of our listeners, Elizabeth, who sent us a message very excited about our Devil Wears Prada episode, which how can we blame you? <laughs> we knew you would not we, be disappointed. I, listen. I'm disappointed I couldn't be there for it. But I'm disappointed too, Ellie. I missed you. I'm very happy that I got to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) But we know people had been waiting for a long time. And so we're glad people enjoyed the episode. Also, letting us know that Doug isn't supposed to be Lily's boyfriend and was queer coded on purpose. So that I found fascinating because I did not get that at all when I watched the movie. You know what? I actually think I did know that. But... I wasn't there. I have to, learned something I wasn't today. there to tell you during the episode. So I know I also we missed you. On the on the note of Devil Wears Prada, because it has been getting us so much engagement because of course people love the love this movie as a gay movie. Sappho goes to the movies on Instagram, also posted about it with some fan art by Angel March Art. 
of Andy and Miranda together. And it's incredible. Some great fan art. And they tagged us in it, of course. And we're like, yes, Devil Wears Prada should have been gay. So thank you to everyone who's been reaching out about one of our favorite ships ever and most toxic. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, we want to thank our Lesbian Jesus patrons, Mark Foster, Jess Klaus, Tanya Ferguson, Jacqueline Rosashino, Sarah and Julia, Danny Gunlock Tamora, Brittany Ray, Alana Rosen, Lizette Stye, Stacy, Aidy Benitez, Fiona W., Whitney Lennon, and Jennifer Trujillo. And our King Princess patrons, Amy and Ellen, Leah Henley, Liz Chen, Julia Gonzalez, and Ashley White. Thank you, all of our patrons. You know how much we love all of you. We could not keep doing this show without you. And you're all just the best and you're fun people. That's all. The best. Remember, you can also find us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Les Hangout Pod. You can email us at leshangoutpod at gmail.com. Or check out our website at leshangoutpod.com. Whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, make sure that you subscribe. That way you'll get new episodes as soon as they go up every week. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Flame RSS feed on any podcasting app if you have not listened to the Flame yet. And reminder, we have new videos going up on our YouTube channel. So make sure that you subscribe at youtube.com slash leshangoutpod to catch all of those. One of the easiest ways to support the podcast is to rate and review us on iTunes. We love hearing what you have to say. If you want to support us financially, you can join our Patreon at bit.ly slash lespatreon. You get all sorts of fun stuff. You get ad-free episodes. You get uh, access to our Les Essentials watch parties. We have our next one coming up soon. We're going to be watching some Dickinson together. So don't miss out on that. Uh, again, it's bit.ly slash lespatreon. If you want to support our musicals we are going to be changing our patreon for the flame to be a more all-encompassing musical patreon but you can join that at bit.ly slash the flame patreon it'll help us make our new musical journey to the heart and also help us get the flame on stage if you want to check out our merch we have all of our designs for let's hang out and for the flame and we'll have all of our designs for our next musical up here as well at our t public you can find it at bit.ly slash les shop you get any of our designs on all sorts of products and also help support us if you want to find us individually you can find me at ellie bridgina on instagram twitter and tiktok and you can find me on instagram twitter and tiktok at lsh foster with that i'm ellie and i'm lee and, and let's, let's hang, hang out, out again, again soon. soon. Let's hang out.